Welcome to the IC Connected or ICON podcast. This podcast will challenge conventional thinking about internal communications. It will force you to think differently, consider bold ideas, and step outside your comfort zone through real, unscripted insights from some of the best internal comms pros and subject matter experts in the world. But most importantly, this podcast will help you elevate your career and together we'll elevate the internal comms profession to the C-suite. Today I'm speaking with Priya Bates and Advita Patel about building a culture of inclusivity. Priya Bates is a highly experienced professional with nearly 30 years dedicated to the field of internal communication and is the founder and president of Inner Strength Communication in Toronto, Canada. Advita Patel is a renowned author and speaker and the founder of Comms Rebel, with over two decades of experience specializing in internal communication and employee experience. Advita is based in Manchester, UK, and she also co-hosts the award-winning podcast, Calm Edged Rebels. Priya and Advita are also co-founders of A Leader Like Me and now co-authors of a new book, Building a Culture of Inclusivity, Effective Internal Communication for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Thanks for joining me today, Priya and Advita. It's truly an honor to have you on this podcast. Nice to be here. Thanks, Julie. Really happy to be here today. Awesome. Well, first of all, I wanted to congratulate you on the launch of your book. I understand it sold out very quickly on Amazon, so I haven't been able to get myself a copy. Um, so I'm hoping you can give me a, a brief overview of the book. It was uh, Amazon Canada, just to be just to kind of, just to clarify, in case people say it sold out. So it's Amazon Canada that sold out very quickly, though we have been told by our lovely publishers that um, it, it's en route now. So if you are waiting, if you're based in Canada, it should be hopefully available right now. Um, so shall I take this one, Priya, in terms of what the book is about? So the book, to give you a very, very quick overview, is about helping people who are responsible for communicating internally to give them support and guidance on how to cultivate a culture of inclusivity. And we've split the book into two parts. So part one is about the why. So why is this really important? Why is building a culture inclus- inclusion important? And part two is about the models and frameworks that you can use to help you deliver against that objective. And we wrote this because we recognize that as communication professionals, as leaders, as HR practitioners and professionals, we can sometimes feel a bit stuck uh, and the fear can set in in terms of how do we approach this quite complex world inclusion and we wanted to create a guide and that's how we kind of class the book really it's a guide uh, and, a bit, and we want people to refer to it on a regular basis when they feel a bit stuck on how to manage certain conversations or adversity that that might face in their organization so that hopefully gives a brief synopsis of what what the book is about Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, sounds like it's going to be something that people will refer to on a regular basis, which is great. Um, and I really love that you created a guide that it seems like there's nothing out there today that will provide this type of guidance um, for internal communications professionals. So that's great. Um, I'm curious to learn more about the story behind the book. Um, how and when exactly did you decide to write this book together? And what motivated you specifically? Was there a specific scenario or something that happened that inspired you and you said we absolutely need to write this book and we need to write it together well it's a bit of a funny story because we joke about uh, joke around about it a little bit that that Edvita is the one who wanted to write a book and I had said no (laughs) I had said it was not part of the plan I'd never 
I had contributed to books and I had actually written the internal communication employee engagement uh, chapter for IABC's uh, practical handbook for business communication recently. So I'd always written parts of books, but did I want to be an author? It was just not part of my plan. And Edvita, uh, a friend of ours, somebody who's in the field, Jenny Field, in the field, uh, does Jenny Field had published her influential internal communication uh, book and uh, Edvita was also encouraged to reach out to the same publisher. So so she kind of uh, talked me into it and just said, what did you say, Edvita? It, it, we'll just put in a proposal. It'll be a year before they actually tell us to write the book. It, wasn't it something like that? I did. I said, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and and then what, what happened? It was essentially we wrote the proposal. We spent an hour and a half writing the proposal to Kogan Page, who's our publisher. And they got, we figured they'd, they'd be months before they got back to us. They got back to us a week later. It was like, it was very quick um, for, uh, in terms of uh, giving us the approval to go ahead. Um, I think we'd made a good business case. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I realized uh, is that we were being reached out to a lot from our consulting businesses, Abita in Manchester and me here in uh, in Canada and North America, uh, but from HRDI leaders uh, who had created their plans, who had done some of the work, the initial work, but they were struggling with getting engagement from an employee perspective. And that's the space that we could play in. So from a consulting perspective, we kind of saw that we were navigating new territory, but using 20 to 30 years, 20 and 30 years experience doing this in change management internal communication, employee engagement, I kind of using that skill and experience and applying it with a DEI lens. And then one of the things that was really interesting, you know, I now that we're on the other side of it, I'm happy. We wrote the book. I'm thinking I've got more books than me. <laughs> like, I'll, you know, it'd be just unleashed a monster, I think. Uh, but what happened is that we realized we had something to say that was unique. We had something to say that was helpful and that was going to guide and change the way people approach this work so that we actually saw progress because people, as Advita said, people were stuck. They're feeling like they're doing a lot of things, creating a lot of noise, but not actually getting the progress that we need in the space. And that's something that we've always worked on. Advita and I have been strategic internal communication practitioners who want to actually see businesses change and see the results. Well, congratulations. Now you're an author. Um, and thanks to Advita for bringing you on this journey because it seems like so far it's been a really popular book and very successful. Um, how long did it take you from, you said that they approved very quickly. How long did it take you to actually write the book and get it published? So we started the writing process in July. Uh, 2022 and we finished writing the end of November 2022 so just under six months I think it took us um, and it wasn't you know it, it wasn't an easy ride by any stretch I mean once we got into the flow it definitely was and what I mean by that is that we had to spend most of our weekends writing the book uh, and making sure that we were doing the right level of research and studies and contributing the the uh, accurate case studies as well so all of that can take a little bit of time and energy and we wanted to make sure that it was a valuable read 
for those who invested their time in that. But yeah, it was a very quick turnaround. Hogan Page were quite keen that we got the book out because it's the right time right now, I would say. Absolutely. Well, that's amazing. Six months is very fast and um, you both have a lot on your plate. So I'm super impressed and, you know, great job to both of you for, for pulling off such a great book in such a short period of time. And it was hard. It was hard work because it was because it was evenings and weekends and we were so focused on doing it right. Getting, you know, creating something that was a really valuable resource. And and I think we and then it was also, you know, combining our styles, two different authors on two, you know, very far away from one another, um, trying to coordinate that process. And and that was really, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that Kogan Page told us is they were really surprised at how consistent the two of us are. And we put a lot of effort and work into making sure that it didn't feel like, uh, you know, it was two different people with two different opinions putting the book. Awesome. Well, the two of you are just very in sync. Sorry, Juno, just saying that does help, you know, having, ha- being in sync and making sure that we align with our values and what we're trying to achieve was definitely beneficial. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to to actually read it. <laughs> Glad to hear it's coming back to Canada and will be available on Amazon soon. Um, so I'll be sure to grab my copy. So I wanted to dive into some of the challenges that you're seeing uh, when it comes to internal communications. What exactly do organizations struggle with when it comes to diversity, equality, and inclusion? I, I think one of the things we talk about a lot is the one thing that's really different about the DEI space compared to working with organizations that are going through reorgs and mergers and acquisitions and digital transformations and all those things is DEI is not only professional, it's very personal. So as we approach the work, we're, we, we're, we're not like separated by, from it, right? It, it, it means something to us wherever we are, whomever we are. And so it was one of the things we uh, have heard from people who are reading the book is there's a lot of reflection. You know, there's a lot of thinking about what do I believe? What do I think? How do I approach this work for the good of me and for the good of all? And those are questions that are constantly in mind. What we've tried to do is what we always do, which is let's give you the data. Let's give you the research. Let's give you the facts. And let's help you think through this from a collective uh, perception, uh, from an experience um, and a mandate to create a world that is inclusive because inclusive is for all, not just for some, right? And that's the thing that is a bit of a mistake that people look at the words diversity, equity, inclusion, and they think that's for other people, especially when a dominant culture is, you know, in the roles in internal communications and HR and leadership who are making those decisions, they think this is separate from us. But what do those words are not separate? They're, it's diversity. Diversity is not including some and not including others. It's about diversity. It's about making sure there is representation across the board. Uh, you know, inclu- uh, equity is the same thing. It's about making sure everybody gets treated fairly because that's equity is fair. And inclusion is including everyone. So I think this us and them scenario, we really want to break down those myths and those barriers and say, we're trying to create a purpose and we're trying to prepare for the future of work and those future generations. So I think it was a really 
you know, personal book for us as well, that we really wanted to to take people on a journey and help them sh help show them how to make real change. I think adding to what Priya just shared, I think the other challenge for internal communication professionals is the fear. It's the fear of getting it wrong. And it's fear of hurt. And in my experience, internal comms professionals are generally quite empathetic. Uh, and we have to be, right, in the work that we do because we're storytellers and we, we tell the narrative of the organization so we can make sure that our colleagues are delivering against the objectives the organization has set so we can make profit ultimately. Um, and I think what happens is that there's so much out there and there's so much fear of getting it wrong. And it's not helpful that there's lots of external uh, attacks, if you want to kind of call it that, on, on people who do get it wrong. That can scare people. Um, and people, and in our experience and the conversations that we've had with internal communication professionals and leaders, it's knowing where to start. Where do I start? There's so much information out there. There's just so much for us to learn. Where do we start and what part do I play in this complicated, complex area? But I really want to make a difference to the people that I work with. And that's what I hope we've managed to do with our book to give them a starting point of start of, of beginning those conversations if they're struggling uh, in their organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like one of the um, barriers or misconceptions um, is that one, um, inclusivity is, you know, us versus them. And then also there's this huge fear about getting it wrong. Those are a couple of things that I took from um, what you both shared. And um, it sounds like, you know, we need to support internal comms, uh, need to support each other and elevate each other and, you know, share experiences in order to, you know, continue to be more inclusive in, in the workplace and, and to help um, change the workplace for future generations, like you mentioned, Priya. Um, the book, from what I understand, also speaks to the importance of engaging leaders in the diversity agenda and helping them understand the importance of inclusive internal comms. How do you think internal comms professionals can effectively communicate and collaborate with leaders in order to achieve this? I think, again, it's about trying to understand where your gaps are in your knowledge for first, you know, for number one step is to try and understand what we know, what we need to learn before we can confidently support our leaders. And what Priya and I say is part of that is trust is a big part. It's how are you building trust with your leadership team? And, and a part of that is also understanding our biases uh, in terms of what are our biases and what contributions are we making to some of the challenges facing those who are not who don't belong to the dominant culture and, and biases can exist exist in everyone right and I think it's important that we are aware of them and we try and uh, support others in in what they need to do but also ourselves in what we need to learn so with leaders it's our role I would see as internal communication professionals when they're asking us to message something out that isn't fair or equitable or inclusive that we should feel confident enough to say and guide them and advise them properly on, on what is the right thing to do. And I feel that we can't do that if we're not aware of our own knowledge gaps. And I think that's something that I would say as internal comms pros, we need to be a little bit more savvy on how we may approach that and trust, you know, Priya and I do a workshop on trust and what does that mean? 
trust is is one of the main areas that you need to manage first before you can progress in this work because if you don't have trust they're not going to listen to you and, and that's that's you know a big part of the work that we do we need them to listen to what we're saying and and then they respect our viewpoints so they can adjust their behaviors as well and i think right now well where leaders have to be involved is is they need to understand what the business case like what's the case for dei what's the dei what can we call it in the book you know, really identify what does it mean to the organization uh, in a real way. And we haven't done that. In a lot of cases, we're checking boxes. We're doing it because everybody else is doing it. And we think we need to play a role and say we're, you know, inclusive. Um, so we're, we're checking, we're creating a lot of, you know, performative gestures, if you will. And, and we haven't actually embraced what uh, DEI to the potential. Uh, and what we're seeing right now in the news across the board is uh, is DEI leaders leaving. So uh, often, um, I think that's happening for a couple of reasons. A lot of the conversation on and chatter on LinkedIn and Twitter seem to indicate that these uh, uh, DEI leaders from Netflix and BBC and uh, like there's been quite a few organizations that have been called out for DEI leaders uh, uh, leaving. Uh, part of it may be that they're not getting the budget Part of it may be that they're not getting the leadership support for the initiatives and the changes they want to drive. Um, it, but another part of it, it could be that there's not that much uh, expertise out there. So if they are the DEI leader who's at the top of their game and got that role, there's probably recruiters calling, right? There's opportunity and potential if you're really good at what you do, like what they did out there in Netflix has been mind-blowing and that individual I forgot her name it's I'm it's leaving me right now but she, I've been following her and she is going out and doing her own thing so she's actually do, do a create a practice which is what she did before she was hired by Netflix proved her case and made and created change and now the opportunities are in front of her as a proven leader so I think both of those things are at play uh, from a leadership perspective the key is that DEI has to be part of the strategy, not arm's length from the strategy. Leadership needs to be involved to make sure that happens. Um, so in your experience, what are some of the most effective communication approaches or tactics that internal communication professionals can employ in order to engage employees and create that sense of belonging within the organization? You know, I, you know Advita and I are the uh, strategic communication professionals, right? So, so we say before you get the, the tactics, start with the strategy, start understanding what you're trying to uh, do, because we have, we have what we call the DEI evolution. In fact, we've got an assessment. So anybody who's listening, if you go to a leader like me.com, you can go in and take the, uh, the assessment for your organization. It's what at 90 seconds it'd be done. It doesn't take very long to, to do. Um, and you'll kind of figure out where you are on the continuum. Of, of the evolution and and what essentially what we're seeing is because so much has been approached by the tactics first what are we seeing we're seeing performative gestures uh you know posts and and logos that are changed and and all of those things are under attack now right all the things that we did the black boxes the orange shirts the the rainbows people are saying show us what you've really done and then what we've got is our employees who are being inundated by the all of the calendar events 
that are cultural and religious and uh, special occasions and commemorative dates that there there's noise. Evita, you have a story to tell about this uh, based on some research that you did with a client, right? Yeah. So there's, you know, if there are over 290 and more, I would say, days of uh, awareness days and, and days to raise, you know, to, to, to make people aware of certain things and adversity that certain community groups are facing. Uh, and there's one organization that struggled to articulate which days they were going to focus on or which months they were going to uh, focus on. Um, and so this ended up just doing a lot of um, emails, as we often, I think, ref you know, deflect to around some of these days. And what ended up happening in the organization was um, colleagues were putting rules in place. So every time they had an email from uh, the EDI, the Equity, Diversity, Inclusion team, or anybody who mentioned inclusion, diversity, or equity, it went into um, another folder automatically because they were, they were exhausted or a little bit tired of reading the same old churn. And that's what happens, you know, when you don't have a strategy to understand what, why you're doing what you're doing and what direction you're going in, you're going to, you know, in, in the hope that you're inclusive, you actually end up being exclusive and excluding everybody because you're not being meaningful uh, and some of the gestures that you're sending out are quite tokenistic. So making sure that you have a strategy in place that aligns with the EDI strategy and the corporate strategy and thinking about the outcomes that you're hoping to achieve. And we always say, you know, when, when we get approached about how do we recognize Black History Month, how do we make sure that we're, you know, paying attention to International Women's Day, my question back with to everybody is what what difference have you made since last year? You know, what outcomes have you delivered since last year? And let's talk about them if you want your colleagues and your leaders and your clients and your customers to pay attention that you genuinely care about this area of work. Because if you just keep churning out the same old stuff year on year, people are going to disengage and switch off and feel that you are being very tokenistic in your approach. One of the things that Vita did do um, was uh, create a whole list of the variety of tactics and what are the risks in terms of inclusion um, in the, the tactics that we use. Because it's not a one-size-fits-all. Every organization is different. There are great opportunities. There's opportunities for storytelling. There are opportunities to really drive a different conversation. And that's kind of where we're starting to lean, that instead of having this one-way communication stuff going out there that nobody really responds to or gets tired of it and deletes or, you know, training that is a one-time point in time but doesn't actually cha create change. Let's actually have conversations about the things that we're concerned about. Let's have conversations about why this is important to our organization and each other. Let's, like, I think we have to have a bit of a different approach where we make it, we really listen to the various perspectives because otherwise, what we're seeing is uh, divisions and fear that continue to be created, created versus people understanding one another through an empathetic lens that understands why people react the way they do and how we actually move forward together. It's, it's making sure that you're, in terms of the tactics that you might deploy, it's being considerate that I you is you know I I am not the fan of I'm not a fan sorry of having diversity, equity, and inclusion as a vertical pillar 
next to all the other pillars. It should be a horizontal pillar where all the other pillars come out from. It should be baked into the entire organization throughout the employee experience life cycle. So from the moment the you know a, a potential candidate wants to apply to work in your organization to the moment that they decide to leave, where are we em- embedding the inclusive um, culture and, and the inclusive tactics, and the belonging to make sure that they understand what the what the organization is about rather than just doing the odd campaign and the odd messaging or the CEO may write an email because that something has happened and, and they're doing some crisis comms around it. So you need to kind of consider the entire cycle and you need to also consider the, the tactics that you're deploying and the outcomes that you're expecting from those tactics. And keep in mind, like a good example of that is, you know, everybody's using the stock imagery for recruitment campaigns, but what happens when you walk through the doors of an organization? Do you, what did what you saw in that campaign come to life when you were going through interview processes? Did it come to life when you were being oriented? Did it come to life when you actually were contributing as part of the team? Those are all moments of trust, right? And, and if you were sold something and then came in and your real experience was completely different than what you were sold, you know, apart from the values, apart from the strategy, apart from the picture that they painted to, to get you through those doors, that's a first moment of disengagement and disconnect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, as you were both speaking, it got me thinking about um, the challenges of this in hi- hybrid and remote workforces, um, because I, I think it's probably a bit different um, in the way that you may communicate um, in those places versus a, you know, everybody's in the office type of culture. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, you know, for companies that are hybrid or remote? The one thing that's really been interesting is the data and the chatter. I always refer to the chatter on, on, on social media, because I pay attention to that has been about the fact that, uh, that, uh, those, uh, um, underrepresented uh, um, individuals actually felt safer at home than they did in the workplace, that they weren't experiencing the microaggressions on a regular basis, you know, because they were online or because they were remote and they were being managed by the work they got done versus, uh, you know, who they were physically you know, they, uh, that it actually, they felt it made a difference. So it's been interesting. There is opportunities. What happens when you come back together and maybe you feel less, uh, included when that happens, which, which is just sad, right? So, so it's, uh, I think, I think that, you know, what we're starting here in general is that people are returning to the workplace, right? It probably two or three days per week. So there's some sort of mix. So more hybrid than than it was before, and how do we ensure that we're creating a place where everybody feels included and is heard and belongs? So I think the communication and the conversation that's driven still needs to be very proactive. It can't help happen by accident. We need to be having these conversations regularly and keep people connected. You have to be very intentional as a leader when you do have a hybrid workforce in in the sense that you need to be making more of an intentional effort to connect with your colleagues and make sure that they are connecting with each other 
the challenge with underrepresented people feeling more comfortable at home is detrimental to their progression, even more so when they're in the workplace. So when, when we speak to some underrepresented people who say that they feel safer at home and they don't want to have their camera on because they are tired or they feel that they're going to be facing microaggression, the biases that they face into means that their leaders will think they don't care. And when leaders feel that they don't care, the, the lack of empathy is heightened, which means that any, any opportunity for progression, they will not be considered. And that is not the fault of the underrepresented individual, it's the fault of the culture who hasn't created a space where they feel psychologically safe to thrive to the extent where they feel that the only way they can exist and survive is by being at home on their own in isolation. And that is, you know, is quite scary, you know, when you think about if if people felt that way and you're you're seeing a pattern of behavior in that way, then there's something not quite right in your culture. And you need to identify what it is that is stopping people wanting to come into the office a couple of times a week. Uh, and people will hide behind all sorts of different reasons, right? So it's too long a commute. You know, I get bored at home. There's no point me coming into the office and sitting on teens all day. And all of those things are true. But in my experience, Julie, when, the, when there's meaning and there's support and there's an opportunity to collaborate and connect, then you'll find that people are more than willing to come into the organization if they feel safe enough to do so. So I will always say to leaders, if you're struggling to convince your population to come into the office, then I would look at the rationale and the why and how you're communicating that. Because no, no, no level of breakfast in the mornings or lunch given and things like that will entice them. It will be around connection and community. Yeah, so they do need to dig deeper. In, in those conversations and ask people to truly understand you know, what's really, what's the true reason that they don't want to come back into the office and, and how can that be addressed? I think that's great advice. Especially if it's a, a demographic that's underrepresented. Mm -hmm. You know, so you need to look at your data points and, you know, we talk about personalization quite a lot in the book because we are in this habit of broadcasting and, and broad brushing a lot of information. But as a leader, you need to look at your demographics and see if there's a pattern of behavior and, and if that pattern of behavior is impacting a certain demographic and then look, in it, look at it in that, uh, that opportunity. Is your policies, are your policies fit for purpose? You know, are you giving people plenty of opportunity in terms of flexibility? That kind of stuff. And I think sometimes we can make assumptions based on the narrative and the biases that we have within us. So that's what I would say to any leader or any comms professional listening look at, break down the data points into the, the various demographics that you have. Definitely always go back to the data. You can't make assumptions. So do you have any other real world examples of organizations that have created positive changes in their internal comms and overall inclusivity? I'll talk about a UK brand, which is, I've heard lots of great things about Sky, which is um, a company that provides, uh, I think like cable TV, I think you call it in the, in the North American regions. Uh, and they've taken some pretty bold, they've made some pretty bold moves when it comes to their inclusive strategy and their diversity agenda. Uh, and I applaud them for it. You know, they got a little bit of kickback when they first announced what they were doing. Um, from, from what I see and what I hear and some of the colleagues that I know that work there have had a very positive experience. And the reason they've had a positive experience is because they have stuck to what they said they were going to do. And they've been reliable in terms of their deliverable, deliverables and they've taken action. And a lot of uh, leaders have uh, aspirations to make change happen. 
and they'll say some great things and they'll do a plan or an action plan. But when it becomes a little bit tough, you know, it's, it's kind of left on the side or they don't follow it through or something else has taken priority. So they kind of leave it on the side. Or worse, you know, they expect their employee resource groups or colleague resource groups to deliver against that agenda on volunteering basis, which will never succeed because you're putting too much pressure on those individuals to achieve those very important objectives. So Sky is definitely um, one organization. I mean, I haven't worked for them personally, but the people I know who work, the people I've spoken to who work for them have said good stuff. And I think that's important to recognize. Yeah, and a couple of examples that uh, we shared in the book that uh, that I could uh, talk to, which is uh, one uh, is PepsiCo, who, uh, you know, when I was reading information about PepsiCo and the plans that had been created years ago to drive diversity, way before it was the in topic, you know, by the leader who was in place at the time who really believed that this was a business strategy. And, you know, he uh, paved the way with the changes to introduce, to bring Indra Nunya to the CEO position. And it was a long-term strategy that has paid off tenfold from a PepsiCo perspective, you know, and they, and it really does, uh, is part of everything that they do and has translated into success. The other one that I thought was worth, it's a Canadian company that that actually started out in a bit of trouble years ago, which is Lululemon, when they were talking about the size, they were part of the size debate and and you know the size of their products and it's only for really what they call bit individuals and we weren't in the market, you know, for people who you know bit people who were larger because they just don't. I, I don't know if they said that, but but I think the uh, CEO at the time, the founder, was actually taken off the board eventually because of the. Uh, um, the press that the statements got in terms of justifying the sides conversation. And Calvin McDonald, who I got, had a chance to work with at Loblaw years ago, is now the CEO of, uh, of uh, um, Lululemon. And what he's done since that, you know, in terms of stepping in to really being inclusive in terms of advertising, in terms of products, in terms of all of the programs that they offer and the, you know, looking at their financial results, it's translated into some really, really great opportunities. So, you know, we've heard like McKinsey's done studies for years that, you know, this is a good, you know, including everybody. What a great strategy. It seems very sense. <laughs> you know, it seems you definitely still need to target your market. Being more inclusive is opportunity for these organizations, and that not that's not the only reason you do it, but it's definitely you know a, a compelling reason to say let's really do this right instead of check a few boxes and and pretend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it, it's you know it's better for the employees, it's better for the culture. It also sounds like it's better for the future growth of the business. So, I'm, why wouldn't you make this part of your? organization and, and embed it everywhere um, from the top down. So it, it seems like a no-brainer to me. Um, and thank you so much for sharing those great examples. I do remember the Lululemon one, and I have noticed that the lululemon.com site has changed dramatically for the better. So I, I think that was really, really a great um, example of how this can you know, really benefit 
um, both the business and, you know, everybody, the consumers, the employees, everyone across the board. Absolutely. So as the landscape of DEI continues to evolve, which it will, um, wondering if you have any advice for internal comms professionals who, you know, how can they stay informed and adapt their practices to ensure ongoing inclusivity in their communications? Start by reading our book. (laughs) But uh, I think that uh, one of the things that was really interesting in writing the book is that there was so much that we didn't know. So our approach was let's learn as much as we can. Let's read the books that are out there. Let's there's a lot out there. Let's read that with a um, a, a, a lens from an internal communication perspective, and 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 really say what is it that's going to help? What's the thinking that's going to help us move forward? And and I think that you know I'd probably say I don't know if I've got the right number here, Advita, that you know seventy percent of what we bring to the work is our internal communication expertise. Right. So we apply that, you say, change management, because this is a big change management project, right? Changing the way an entire organization thinks is change management. So people still go through those processes, shock and anger and resistance. It shouldn't be a surprise. This is what, uh, this is the part of the work that we do. And we're applying that internal communication, employee engagement, employee experience lens to the work. So you've got, if you're a good at internal comms and employee engagement, you, you, you're most of the way there. Now we need to then now address, use those same best practices, gather the data, do your research, understand what the, the, the goals are. All of those things still need to apply. This is a must-have project, not a nice-to-have project, right? And then keep, stay informed, keep listening. The, you know, we, we did the research, those, we were listening to perspectives. Chances are those perspectives are going to change. And there's new learning and new thinking. You know, as we've gone through the conversations, you know, the things I'm learning from the Indigenous community here in Canada is really brand new to me. It's not something that I paid attention. I have to admit, it's not something I paid attention to a lot. What I'm learning about, you know, transgender and and the LGBTQ community, those conversations are evolving and changing. And that's probably why we're seeing some of the backlash, because there's the powers that want to keep things the same, you know. So, so be open to new perspectives, because again, it, this is not just professional; it's personal. And what we've noticed is we've changed our thinking because there's a lot of systems that we've grown up in. There's a lot of myths we've grown up with. There's a lot of things that we thought were fact that aren't because there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there. So do your research. Whenever you hear about something, whenever you hear, you know, whether it's it's in your favor or not in your favor, do the research and find out where the stat, the facts are so that you can apply them realistically. And then don't expect what works for another company will work for yours. So you are, you know, we, we talk about progress, not perfect. Where are you today? Where do you want to be? What's it going to take to get there? If you keep asking the questions and rechecking and doing your metrics and measurement, it'll help you guide guide you as well. I will, I will just add to that. Um, I also look at your community that's around you. You know, we get asked frequently, as Priya said, about how do we keep on top of what's happening because it changes every single day. My biggest piece of advice is look at the people that surround you 
and your community? Who are you leaning into for advice? And write write the names down. You know what I always say to people: write down the top fifteen people in your world that you ask for advice or you get advice from or you learn from, whether that's socially or whether that's you know in person. And what's the similarities between you all? You know, and what you might find. I did this exercise a few years ago, and what I found is that I had people who were very similar thinking to me because uh, it's comfortable, right? It's really comfortable when you have people who think the same as you you agree with your points of view and you feel quite, you know, happy about yourself and egos are, are out there a little bit as well. But you really have to kind of think about, hang on, you know, every, if everybody's the same in information bubble and echo chamber, then what am I learning? So my advice to internal comms professionals who are often, you know, in a very small team, so you don't see as much diversity, is look up the community that you're surrounded by and make sure that you have um, a range of people that you can learn from. Not harass, by by the way. You know, I've, I've known some people who have had several DMs from others asking for help, or can you just check this comms over for me and make sure I'm safe. That's not what the marginalized or underrepresented people are there to do. By all means, engage with them and have conversations, but not to let them do your work. And you have to do work and you have to learn, listen, connect, uh, and and build your community uh, around you so you keep learning from different perspectives and that's the way you're going to learn and you know if what I always say you know progress perfect which we, we share in the book but try and be one percent better than what you were yesterday you know we're not asking for you to be the fount of all knowledge in every single area but at least make the effort to be one percent better than what you were yesterday and bring in the experts like bring in the support um, I think that uh, it, it does help when you're looking at who you're bringing in. And that's something as consultants, we realize too, is that uh, people tend to hire people like them as well, <laughs> you know, and, and that's where their comfort zone is. Whereas sometimes we are going to engage with you in uncomfortable conversations because maybe that's what you need to hear because that's a different perspective. It's something you weren't expecting and that has to be seen as a positive versus a negative in order for progress to occur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like the common thread um, through both of um, both of your comments is learning and an openness to learning. And it also sounds like it might be uncomfortable at times, but that means that you're learning and you're evolving and that's going to help you get to that 1% better than you were last year. So that's all such val valuable advice. And I think I like how you make it realistic and achievable um, by not saying you need to be 10% better, 1%, anyone can do that. Um, and you can do that through learning and listening and keeping an open mind. Um, so I, any final thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off? Uh, the only thing I would say is, you know, and Priya shared this at a, a workshop we did not so long ago, is you have, to you have to choose hope over fear. And I think this is a, 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 a inclusive practices and inclusive conversations diversity, equity, belonging, justice, whatever you phrase it in your organization can be scary and it can bring fear into our world. But I would say to anybody who's listening is that if you're feeling a bit scared, it's a normal reaction. It's not something that you should fear. It's it's about learning. And to your point, Julie, you know, it's okay to be uncomfortable while you're learning. And it's important that we do choose hope over fear because what's the alternative, right? We need to progress. We need to move forward and we need to make a difference. And we can't do that if we stay in our comfort zone feeling scared. Yeah. And be conscious of the divisions that are being stoked, right? The, the, uh, 
these are things are changing. And I think I'm a big believer that the reason we're seeing all the noise, we're seeing all of the negative negatives that are designed to get us divided is so that we're not actually collectively working towards change together. And and I I you know, I want thing the world to be better. I want the world to be better for my children, you know, and for the future generations. And and I think that, you know, imagine what that world could look like. It's not uh, some people thriving and other the majority not. You know, we really do need to to work. Uh, and that's kind of our role as internal communication uh, professionals, that we're there. We're the voice of the employee. We're the voice of the, the collective, you know, and sometimes we're in the middle talking to those leaders who are very privileged. And there is an opportunity for we're all doing this for the right reasons and the right. Amazing. I love um, the idea of choosing hope over fear. I think that's good advice, even beyond this conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, fear is just going to hold you back from, you know, creating a better world for yourself and for the future. So I, I love ending on a really positive note um, and, you know, focusing on hope going forward. So thank you so much to both of you, Priya and Edwita, for joining me today. It's been a true pleasure. Um, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you? If they visit alidalatme.com, then all our details are on there as well. And then obviously they can connect with us on our LinkedIn uh, sites. But leaderlikeme.com, as Priya said earlier, we've got the assessment on there. You've got links to purchase our book. We've also got some downloadable things that you can have as well. Uh, and our details on how you can connect with our individual uh, work that we do through Inner Strength for Priya and Comms Rebel with me as well. So a leader like me is the, is the first point of call, I would say. And definitely give us a follow on uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter and now Threads. We're all we're in all of those places. <laughs> Instagram, TikTok, everywhere. We can everywhere. find you everywhere. I don't do anything serious on TikTok. I need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you both again, and I will be talking to you soon. I'm sure. Thank you, Julie. Great conversation. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for listening to the Icon Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by Sparrow Connected. Head over to sparrowconnected.com to learn more about the internal comms platform that is elevating the internal comms profession. And be sure to follow We Lead Comms on LinkedIn. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast channels and tune in for the next episode.